Welcome to the Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. I'm your host, Khalith Wright, CEO, Air Force Aid Society. Join me as we chat with extraordinary guests, share stories, and learn how amazing people are making a difference in the lives of so many Air Force and Space Force families. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. I'm John Farrell, Chief Operating Officer of the Air Force Aid Society. And we are pleased to have a fantastic guest today, Laura Briggs. Let me tell you a little bit about Laura before we go through some of the questions that I have. So Laura is a legal SEO, search engine optimization writer, copywriter, and ghostwriter with 10 years of experience working with law firms, copywriting. And, you know, I've often, and we'll talk about this when we get to it, Laura, wondered, how do you do ghostwriting. So I'm really interested in learning that. I guess the answer is you really got to learn your subject, right? But we'll talk a little bit about that. She has so much breadth of experience. She's the founder of Letter of the Law, which was a firm created back in 2012 after spending five years as a legal researcher for two different attorneys. She's a military spouse and the founder of Operation Freelance, which is a nonprofit organization aimed at helping military spouses break into remote work. What an admirable thing. I will tell you, in my past career, I was an HR professional, so I put a lot of stock into taking care of spouses and people finding their way. She's the author of a few books, The Six-Figure Freelancer and How to Start Your Own Freelance Writing Business, Remote Work for Military Spouses, and How to Become a Virtual Assistant. Just like what we're doing here, she's a podcast host and founder of the Advanced Freelancing Podcast. In her prior life, she was the marketing director of Lawyerist.com from May of 20 to May of 2021. And then she has a lot of educational accomplishments to include a bachelor's degree in economics and poli-sci from Randolph-Macon Women's College, right up the road from where I'm sitting. She also holds a master's degree in political science from Virginia Tech, good old hokey. And Laura is now pursuing her PhD, if that's not enough, in public administrative policy. She's appeared on numerous other media appearances. At the end, we'll make sure that she gets all the social media input in. She's obviously belongs to the traditional ones that are out there, and we'll make sure they're listed as part of this podcast. So having said that, Laura, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show, and give us an idea of where you are today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing well today, and right now I am in central Illinois. I live in Springfield, which most people know as a home to all kinds of Abraham Lincoln stuff. (laughs) That's exactly right. And what brought you out to that part of the world? Is that where you're living now? It is, yes. This is my husband's first civilian job. We hope it's a permanent position that we will be here. But yes, he was recruited while he was in residency. We were in Minnesota before this and, of course, moved all over as a military family before that. We are hoping that this is a permanent position. And it's been kind of weird not like to think of this as, hey, we can actually decorate this home as if we'll be here longer than a year. So it's been a little bit of a challenge for us. Yeah. Heaven forbid, right? You know, that, yes. that's wonderful thing. <laughs> and what service was he? He was in the Navy for 14 years. He enlisted at 17 and then got out for college, got back in as an officer, and then was a physician for six years in the Navy. We call that a Mustang. So That's yeah. right. <laughs> right. Good for him. He did the right thing. You know, I was one of those guys who wasn't mature enough to succeed in college, joined at 18, and the Air Force paid for all my education, which I'll always be very appreciative of. Mm-hmm. So again, welcome. And Let's talk a little bit about your career journey to begin, Uh, Laura. Tell us about your background, kind of what you went through. I'm sure there were times just like others where you had a job and then you lost it because you had to move every two or three years. 
while you were, your husband was serving in the Navy. Yeah. So a lot of my background was in education. I mean, like you mentioned, I had started my PhD program when I very first met my husband. And I actually used to be a teacher. I used to teach seventh grade geography and US history in Baltimore City Public Schools. And my husband was stationed in Bethesda at Walter Reed. He was doing internship at that time, but we knew we were going to move, right? So I was looking at, okay, tenure track professor, that's not going to work. Teaching in a classroom, that's going to be a headache moving so frequently, dealing with licensure issues and things. So I took stock of kind of every skill I thought I might have and just started doing some career research about what something that would be flexible. Is there anything I could do where it doesn't really matter where we live, where I really just could do it remotely? And I I literally Googled how to become a freelance writer. So I never had any intention of, of being an entrepreneur. I just kind of fell into it, realized that I really liked it. And so that's been most of what I have done the last 10 years. I have done an employee stint in there as a marketing director and a podcast host for another company. Uh, but most of that time I've been working for myself full time and really glad that I fell into that and liked it as much as I did. We've moved nine times in 11 years. And so it's awesome that my job just follows me wherever I am. And I can just kind of, as long as we have Wi-Fi installed, like I can just get to work right away. So yeah, definitely career challenges. I knew it wasn't going to be traditional. I knew I kind of had to rethink my whole career path because of that. Yeah. And be more. I'm a Maryland boy. So be more mm-hmm. teaching in that school district. That had to be extremely challenging. It was very difficult. And the kids were, for the most part, great. Like they definitely have a lot of challenges, just what they go through. I mean, they don't necessarily go to even middle school based on where they're living closest to. They apply to go to middle school. So some of these kids are getting on public buses, traveling across the city in the wee morning hours to go to better middle schools, so to speak, or where they'd like to go. They feel their best chance of getting into high school and college is. But yeah, just the administration, what's asked of teachers these days, really, really tough. And I knew I could see myself doing that for 30 years. So that was another reason I kind of said, okay, all of the stars are aligning here. I need to find a different career path. Sure, understandably. I will tell you, uh, being a military spouse, and we'll we'll talk a little about that, there's so many challenges that you face. And I will tell you, selfishly, they are number one advocates for the Air Force Aid Society. The Mm -hmm. spouse network is a lot. Whenever I want to get the word out somewhere, that's the very first place I go because they are very good about sharing the info. So give us an idea of what it's been like to be a military spouse and what are the typical challenges other than the job changes, like you said, nine times in 11 years that are associated (laughs) with being a military spouse. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times your career and kind of what you want, it does take a back seat. And that's by the very nature of just military life. Military life, as you know, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a career. And it can put a lot of pressure on your whole family there. I think there's also times where you feel extra pressure as a military spouse. like Because I'm not the one who's been in service, I'm very careful about Well, when my husband was active duty, like if I'm showing up to a command event, once he signed me up to cook for the commander of the base, and I was like, why? Why did you put this much pressure? Like if it doesn't turn out well, like this is not reflecting on your career. So there's little things like that. And then just like even now, right? Like I'm getting ready to give a TED Talk next month about military spouse career challenges. And you feel this extra pressure because anytime you're speaking or representing on behalf of such a large group of people that is so diverse... You want to be respectful. You want to be mindful of that fact. You want to, like, I want to recognize that now we're on the civilian side of it. So my husband's a veteran now. And 
it's just, I think you sometimes can feel that extra pressure of like being part of someone else's career that maybe you didn't necessarily sign up for, but it's a huge part of their identity, right? Like when my husband transitioned out, that was a big challenge for him of seeing himself as something other than a Navy officer. So there's all kinds of things you see behind the scenes, but it's also a great opportunity to see the world, travel, live different places, gain a respect for people who make that kind of sacrifice. And like you talked about, the network is just amazing. I can't tell you how many times another military spouse has helped me in one way or another. And I continue to be grateful for that community now that we're outside of active duty. Yeah, you made some key points there. One thing that I'm going to make sure too, that is, and I don't know if you've met these ladies, but I'm going to hook you up with On our board, by virtue of the uniform that they wear, we have the chief of staff of the United States Air Force and his or her spouse, the chief of staff of the United States Space Force and his or her spouse. So Molly Raymond is the Space Force for another couple of weeks. Her husband's about to retire. And uh, Shereen Brown is uh, General Brown. So have you met them before? Are you familiar with them? I have not, no, but I would definitely love an introduction. We'll do the linkage because it's so important to what you're talking about. And the other part that you mentioned too, that is so, so true about when you hang up the uniform, I'm 18 years removed. Now, you'll notice I have my rank on there. I do that only for credibility purposes, but I also often tell people, don't call me cheap. That's yesterday's news, (laughs) 18 years ago. And I do some mentoring, similar to what you're talking about with folks when they hang up the uniform. I always say I wouldn't have hired John Farrell either with his February 1st, 2005 resume because you don't know what you don't know until you don't, until you learn, right? So I give a presentation on interview techniques and resume development. And some of the guys and gals have a hard time separating the identity of the uniform, right? Jokingly, I would tell my E9 peers, and I say it tongue in cheek with a little bit of truth to it, you go from being a hero to a zero in the eyes of the civilian mm-hmm. population, because you have to capture those things that you did well there that can now translate to the civilian world. So I'm sure you found those challenges across the board too as a military spouse. Yeah, and I mean, I see it all the time with other military spouses because a lot of times they are taking breaks from the workforce. They're taking positions in which they're underemployed and overqualified for. They have gaps in their resume because they moved to a country with a SOFA agreement where they couldn't work. And so it's hard to explain that to a civilian employer, right? Like, well, why did you work data entry at your last job with a master's degree? That may be the only job that that spouse could find. And so they wanted to have a career. They wanted to contribute financially to their family. So that's definitely true, both for transitioning veterans and then military spouses. I mean, in Operation Freelance, we take our participants through an exercise where they pull up their resume and their job is to strip everything out of their resume that could work as an entrepreneur and a freelancer. And all of them freeze up. Nobody wants to do it. (laughs) Everyone's like, I don't have any skills that could transfer over to being a business owner. And so we take one person and we walk them through the experience of reframing that. And it kind of helps everybody else break through that. But it's a very common challenge, just that hesitation over, I'm not going to be treated the same way. My resume doesn't look right. I feel like I'm making up for lost time. There's a lot of really common challenges there, despite the diversity of the lives of so many military spouses. Well said, uh, Laura. And that's a perfect segue into what you you just mentioned. So let's talk about that. You founded Operation Freelance. What was the emphasis behind its creation? Why did you decide to do it? Well, as a military spouse, I got very lucky by starting my own business and realizing 
number one, I was better suited for it. But two, it followed us everywhere as we moved. And it opened so many incredible doors for me, getting books published, starting a podcast, doing a lot of public speaking. And I knew that other military spouses could really benefit from the flexibility of freelancing. It's one of the only side businesses where you could do it five hours a week, one week. You could do it 40 hours a week the next month. It's very flexible. You can do it at 2 a.m. It doesn't really matter. And so yeah. for military spouses, that level of flexibility is huge. And I had been mentoring military spouses one-on-one -on -one every quarter. I would take on one to three of them to do that and realize that I opened the call for that application to do the one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And I had something like 50 applicants overnight. And I was like, oh yeah, this yeah. is way bigger than what I can support. And I was very lucky. I went to Upwork to deliver a keynote speech in January of 2020, right before the pandemic. And I mentioned that at the end of my speech, I just kind of mentioned, hey, this is the next door that I think freelancing is opening for me starting this nonprofit. And they pulled me off stage and they said, the CEO wants to talk to you and she wants to give you $20,000 to start this nonprofit. And I was like, oh, wow, it's happening like real fast. Like I need to actually get on it now. And so for me, that was just that confirmation that this was a needed thing. And it's been really amazing to see some of what these spouses have been able to do building their own businesses. I'm sure it's got to be extremely rewarding. You know, there's never a better feeling than knowing you made a difference in a person's life. I mean, there's nothing that beats that money, prestige, nothing beats that. So proud of you. Good for you. So when you first started, you kind of mentioned a little bit about it. What were some of your short and long-term goals that you had regarding Operation Freelance? I wanted to be able to help more than just one person at a time. That was a big one. So because it was... We were all volunteers, essentially. Me and my business manager, Melissa, who's also a military spouse, we were adamant about like, we don't want to pull from this $20,000 for anything that doesn't need to be pulled. So like logo, sure. Website, sure. But like, we're not paying ourselves. So we have to be mindful of the fact that we're volunteers and what is the scale that we can tolerate and what lessons can we learn from the first or second iteration that we can make this a better experience for people in the future. So that was really like, let's just go all in. Let's get started with this. Let's do a 90-day run of this program. Let's do a second 90-day run of this program. Let's see how it goes and let's take the feedback to try to make this better. So that was really the goal was just for this to be a lesson of learning things and potentially failing, right? Like we knew like we're going to get sure. a lot of things wrong <laughs> this right. first time, but that's okay. We'll make it better. So now with hindsight being 2020 and you look back through the lens of what you've experienced... Uh, do you believe that you've achieved what you wanted to? Did it meet its intended purpose for Operation Freelance? I think so. I think there's definitely more room for us to take on more cohorts throughout the year. So rather than just focusing on one or two groups of people, I think we can actually reduce the training time, but also to give some more ongoing support. That's my next thing that I really want to do is the people who are going through this and graduating from this, some of them are very successful quickly, but they immediately need different business help, right? They go from being a beginner to, oh, now I'm almost fully booked. I'm on the path to potentially scaling to 80000 or $100,000 a year, they have different questions and concerns. And so I think that different level needs to be incorporated of what is our ongoing support and how do we build a community and a network and potentially even go out there and be able to say, hey, companies, we have a big list of qualified, experienced, great freelancers that you can hire directly from the military spouse community. So I think in a sense, we did meet those initial goals, but now I see where there's a lot of room to build on that and grow. So that's a nice transition to into the freelance piece. So you had that's a separate entity. How did you get into freelancing? 
I got into freelancing myself just because I actually, <laughs> I had a professor in college. We know when I was doing this audit of all the skills I had as a former teacher and as a PhD candidate, one of my professors in college taught English. I was studying economics and political science. And I took this as an elective course. And he pulled me aside after class and said, have you ever thought about switching your major to English? Because maybe you should. And that was the first time I'd ever really had anyone indicate that maybe I was a decent writer. And so sure. that's really what led me into freelancing is thinking like just this tiny shred of, well, maybe I have something that I can work with. This is a skill that I can build on. And it's been amazing. It's the longest job I've ever held. I still do it today. I still like what I do and I love working with my clients. So it was that flexibility, that being able to work remotely and that little vote of confidence from somebody else. Sure. What about some of the training? You know, I want you to sing your song and plug what you do. What's some of the training you you offer to military spouses? Give me an idea of what you do, how often it's done. If it's, I assume it's probably virtual, just like it, the world today, but give me an idea of what you do there. Yeah, so the training is completely virtual. In the past, it's been 90 days. We're trying to work right now on getting that down to two months because that allows us to serve more people, but also it's less of a time commitment. We found it hard to schedule things around stuff like PCS season in the summer and changing kids' schedules and stuff like that. So we're trying to make the training as accessible as possible. In Operation Freelance, we really focus on people who are beginners and helping them get their very first client. So getting their pitch, how to write a proposal, how to negotiate the importance of contracts, how to build a marketing plan. It's really the 101 of just getting started and really diving in there. Now, have you considered expansion? You got military spouses. What about vets? Have you thought about going down that road? Yes. Yeah, so we actually will take anyone who I consider military affiliated. So I've had someone come Great. through the program who was a caregiver of a disabled veteran. Absolutely. You're 100% eligible to apply. So yeah, we're open not just to military spouses, but to veterans, caregivers. Are you a family member of someone who's active duty in the military, but maybe not a spouse? Really anyone who has that connection is eligible. So I want to get down to the weeds a little bit. I kind of envision in my head what this transpires. But if I'm getting on the call for the first time and I'm a military spouse, what's the syllabus? What are you going through? What are you covering? Yeah. So we're really covering how to know if being a business owner is right for you, like the personality traits and the schedule and the things behind the scenes you have to do to run a business, how to make sure that's really the right call for you and to decide what that looks like in your life. Is this something where you want to leave your day job to do it? Or are you just like, you know what? I have five hours a week and I want to do whatever I can in that five hours to earn something and to expand my career a little bit. So there's elements of it that are very structured. Like every week we're talking about something different. And every other week they have a homework assignment. Like one example is we go through a training on how to pitch clients and then everybody turns in their pitch and they get it critiqued by me. And then they revise their pitch and start sending it out. But it's also very personalized, right? Because I'm not helping just one type of freelancer. We have virtual assistants, we have writers, we have UX designers, we have graphic design people. And so we're using that framework, but then also it's very personalized to here's what I think is going to work for you based on your target clientele here's the marketing that I think is going to be most successful for you. So that's really what we're trying to help people do is all the materials that you need to get your business off the ground. How are you going to reach clients? What are you going to say to them when you connect with them? How are you going to price your work and decide on deadlines and things like that really to get you going with those very first few jobs as a freelancer? That's fantastic that you're doing that because I'm sure you have to adjust your style. If you're in the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia, that's one thing. If you're in Timbuktu, West Virginia, out in the middle of nowhere, your clientele is obviously a little bit different. So I'm sure you have to adjust and have them find their way or feel their way through it. 
Yeah. And there's also a lot of confidence stuff too. I think especially with military spouses, there's kind of this belief that they're not as qualified as they really are. They don't realize how many skills they have from their personal life, their volunteer life, their professional life that get pulled over immediately. Right. And I think military spouses kind of naturally trend towards certain things. They're good at project management. They're good at meeting deadlines. They're good at juggling 20 balls in the air at the same time. So it's about how do we take that? And then I show you that's actually really valuable to have as a business owner. Those are things that are not easily taught, but we're just using them in a different way than you have in the past. Well, the thing I find when I do my mentoring, and I don't know if you find the same thing, is what you believe is important in the United States military, not so much out here. (laughs) I'll give you an example that always makes me laugh, right? I live about six miles from Quantico. When I talk to an airman compared to a Marine, I always have to adjust my style. It's dramatically different, right? (laughs) And I'll always laugh, and then we'll transition after this. When I look at a Marine performance report, and I see, and I'm paraphrasing, the number one fitness program, and all that, I say, you know what? Don't get me wrong. That's important, but we're fat out here. (laughs) A lot of us want to know, how are you going to contribute to the bottom line of efficiency and bring more money into that company? And and for them, it's an awakening, right? They're just like not used to it. And then you have to tell them, look, it's a little bit different when you hang up that uniform. And by the way, don't be wearing those chlorophane shoes and that goofy hat and that belt either when you go to an interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is different. You know, I joke because my husband's civilian boss spent 30 years in the Air Force. And I think my husband has comfort in that as there is a general style, even in how they dress, but definitely in how they wear their hair and talk. And it's just like, that's comforting to him to have a little piece of that military life of like, oh, I know how to relate to him. I'm always, and his boss keeps saying, stop calling me, sir. And John's like, it's ingrained in my brain. I will never stop saying sir. It is so ingrained. After that. It's part of your psyche. (laughs) When I go to the club down the street, I always walk in and they go, (laughs) Air Force One, when I walk in, they call me because they're a bunch of Marines. So that's funny. So, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, look at a few other things here. I also noticed that you are on the Veteran Life website and it lists Mm -hmm. you as a contributor. What do you do for them? Give us an idea of what you're doing there. Yeah, that's one of my freelance writing clients. So they'll come to me. I write a lot of SEO content, which is simply just content that's geared to be for an internet reader, but also for the search engines and what the search engines like to see. And so they would come to me with content and say, hey, here's the topic that we have. We want you to write for the search engines, but also with your perspective of being with someone who's been in the military, what are the things that you think someone reading this article would want to know? So I've written on all kinds of different subjects for them. But yeah, that's an example. And that's a great place for a lot of freelancers to start is look within the military community, right? Where can writers write for companies that are already going to, you're going to have a leg up because you're a military spouse or because you're a veteran and things like that. Well, to quote Marvin Gaye, I heard through the grapevine that you made 100K in your very first year as a freelancer. How did that make you feel? It was crazy because like I said, I my husband still talks today about the time I made my first $20. And I was really thrilled with that because we were broke at the time. And I was like, hey, $20, right? Like that was more than I earned in an hour answering the phones at an insurance brokerage. So 
that like, it was very surprising to me that it grew as quickly as it did. But I also saw that as incredible potential of like, and that's why I continue to advocate for other spouses and veterans to consider freelancing as an option today, because it's so different now when I coach freelancers, like five years ago, all my coaching calls were about marketing, getting clients, making more money, making people pay you more. Today, they are all about time management, burnout, overwhelm, which means the market has flipped into the place where it's there's high demand for freelancers, which is great if you're starting out as a freelancer. But yeah, it was very surprising to me because I never imagined that that I would really be an entrepreneur, that I would be a business owner, that I could run a business at that level, essentially doing all of it myself, right? Like I didn't have a strong team. I wasn't outsourcing client work to other people. So it was very exciting and I started to see the potential. And that's really when other people started asking me too about how I did it. That really opened the doors for the books and the podcast and doing TED Talks on that kind of stuff because other people just wanted to know, hey, how'd you do that? How'd you go from teaching seventh grade in Baltimore City to building a business that makes that kind of money. Right. So I find this part very intriguing. So when you started the freelance work, did you use the strategies? Because I'm sure you're learning as you're going. And if so, did you adjust those as time went on? And what keeps you going as a freelancer? And what do you attribute to your success? Yeah, my strategy early on was the old Facebook strategy, which was fail fast, right? Just try everything. If you fail at it, don't take it personally. Figure out how to tweak it and move on. So I made a ton of mistakes, right? I had no idea how to file my taxes as a freelancer the first year. I missed out on thousands of dollars in deductions because my accountant at the time didn't either. And I brought on the wrong clients. I worked with the wrong people. I didn't price myself high enough. And that's a lot of what led to like my book, Six Figure Freelancer is essentially the book I wish I had when I was trying, if I could go back in time and scale that business all over again. Hey, let me tell you everything I did wrong and some of the things that I got right or ultimately fixed to be right because it did take me a while, right? Like I see people who are scaling faster than me now, four months, six months, they're able to achieve the same results because they're applying kind of recognized business principles now around running a freelance business. But the thing that I got really right was just being willing to put myself out there and hear no over and over again, right? I had so many pitches that were rejected. I had so many people that never even answered me, but I kept going no matter what. And I think that that really helped build that muscle of resiliency to be a business owner. Yeah, I think as you would agree, networking is everything too. I mean, whether it is the freelance world or finding a job when you get out of the military, I've been most successful because of knowing somebody, not just my resume, because you brought out the great thing about the SEO. And when I do this mentoring, I tell folks, you got to get through, I call it, I affectionately refer to it as a lottery machine, also known as an applicant tracking system. You got to get through that. Mm-hmm. Hope that you're one of those players, right? And odds are you may not be. So I'm yes. sure that's what makes you successful when you do the SEO work as a freelancer. What keeps you going? Why do you keep doing it? I really like what I do. I mean, I learn something new every day. There's definitely subjects I have written about hundreds of times at this point, but there's also new things that I learn all the time because clients are coming to me with different needs and requests. And I, my business is kind of split, right? So I a lot of my time I'm spent is spent doing actual freelance projects, but then I have things like operation freelance or coaching freelancers. So that what keeps me going on that side of the business is 
anytime I get a LinkedIn message, an email, something from somebody where they're like, this helped me. Oh, thank you for podcast number, blah, blah, blah. It really helped me show up to a sales call more effectively. Or I just finished six-figure freelancer. That's really going to help me. Or when I hear from Operation Freelance graduates six months, a year later, and they're like, I'm fully booked. I can't believe I'm here. I'm like... During the hard days, I'm like, I got to go back and read some of those emails. I got to remind myself (laughs) about that. Yeah. That's fantastic. You don't know the impact you make until years later. And we all see that. And I'm sure your husband will experience it. I can't tell you the number of times I do a lot of traveling and I'll be somewhere and I'll hear, hey, chief, hey, first sergeant, hey, John. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll know him. Sometimes I won't, honestly. And they'll say, you might not remember this, but this happened in my life. And here's where you contributed to it. So Good for you. I mean, that's got to be extremely rewarding. I want to focus on the last few minutes we have, Laura, on your writing. So obviously, to go and write a book that takes a lot of effort, you not only wrote one, you wrote four. So tell me about your strategies. What made you want to be an author? Why did you even consider doing that? I loved reading as a child, like even in kindergarten when we took the career test, like it came out writer or lawyer. And it's funny because I'm pretty close to both of those things. It's like the fusion of those two things. So I'd always loved reading, always loved writing, knew I wanted to write a book, had a friend who was a successful young adult novelist. And she, there was a conference when we were based in near Crane, Indiana for a couple of years. And she said, hey, there's a conference up in Muncie. You need to go. You need to just go pitch a literary agent, get it over with. So I actually went and pitched a fiction kids book. The agent ripped me apart. And it was that weekend that I went, I'm going to go nonfiction first. This is going to be more in my comfort zone to pursue a business book and really work up to doing fiction. So I did that. And I I worked with an agent who coached me through the process. We wrote a book proposal. I used that to get who is now my literary agent. And she just kind of kept encouraging me to write book proposals. And she goes, if you write the book proposal, I can go out and sell it. And being a professional freelance writer, working on a deadline, it works really well for me. Because like if, if there's a contract that says, Laura, this manuscript of 70,000 words is due October 1st, I might turn it in September 30th at 4 p.m., but it will get turned in before the deadline is finished. So yeah, I definitely have a system now, at least for writing nonfiction that that works really well. So I don't know about you, but I'm a voracious reader and I rotate. I go fiction, Mm -hmm. nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction, fiction, because I I love John Grisham and I love a few others. James Patterson and some of the others, you know, so I like to read those. So I'm really intrigued about the ghostwriting. Tell me how you got into that. And if somebody comes to you and you're a ghostwriter and you don't know the info, you must have to do some substantial research to get your act together before you publish something. Yeah, for sure. So ghostwriting essentially means that, I mean, then it can run along a spectrum. Like you could just be helping somebody get the framework of a piece together. You could be writing the entire thing. What's hard for some people who want to be writers is that you don't normally get credit for any of that, right? So like, I can't say who a lot of my clients are because they are publishing it under their own name, not mine. And that's part of the agreement. But yeah, it requires research. Sometimes that looks different. So I have some clients where they'll send me a topic and I'll say, can you just record the CEO of the firm on a Loom video talking about this for 10 minutes? I'll extract everything I need from that. Other times I need to interview people for an hour. Sometimes it's customer interviews. Sometimes it's just putting myself in the shoes of the reader, right? So like just this morning, I was working on something about traumatic brain injuries from car accidents. So if that were me or my family member, what questions would I have? What things would I want 
want to know before I even call a lawyer, right? So I'm constantly putting myself in that position of, if this were me, what would I want to know? What would make me feel semi-educated and comfortable enough to reach out for that next action step? But yes, it is a ton of research. And as I mentioned earlier, like my prior life was in academia. So like that was something that I'd always kind of enjoyed doing and, and knew how to do. It's so ironic we're having this call. This morning, I had a conversation with another group on TMI. I'm a football official. And there's concerns, obviously, in the concussion arena. And you just saw vividly in the National Football League with the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. So, yeah, I can. it's so intriguing how you get into reading some of the stuff and researching it and you make it your own. But I could see where you had a lot of personal pride and, and you wanted to be the author and have your name on it. <laughs> you got to do that to step out on your own compared to somebody else. So tell us a little bit about the new book that you have out, The Remote Work for Military Spouses. What's that all about? Yeah, so there's kind of two routes for military spouses to take to address some of the career challenges that they face. One is becoming an entrepreneur and working for yourself. And then there's a whole other group of people who are saying, hey, if I worked remotely, I could probably stay in my field or find another field I really liked. So it was based on my experience of being a remote employee and remote job seeker. You were talking about applicant tracking systems. I had no clue. I must have sent out 100 resumes to things before I learned that that was a thing and that none of my 100 were tailored at all for an applicant tracking system. So it's really based on that whole process, how to know you're right for remote work, even how to talk to your current in-person boss about letting you work remotely as a spouse, finding other remote jobs, showing up for the interview, what equipment do you need, applicant tracking systems, negotiating your salary. A military spouse helped me negotiate my salary when I was through that in that situation. I almost pulled my name from consideration. She's like, wait, wait, I have the script. We're going to do this and get you what you are entitled to in terms of compensation. So it's really meant for the people who say, being a business owner is not for me. I don't necessarily want to be an independent contractor. I want to be an employee. How do I do that? How do I know I'm right for it? How do I show up and even not just get the job, but thrive in that remote environment? How can I be a really great remote employee where it's a no-brainer that this is something I can do for years to come? Great. So what about what's on the horizon? What books do you have or thoughts pending in in your head of things that you want to put on paper? Yeah. So I have a fifth book that we just finished the manuscript for called Content is King. It's the complete guide to website copywriting. It's everything I've learned about how to write website content and blog content. That will come out in April of 23. And then I'm thinking that my next book is actually going to be geared towards business owners as sort of a how-to guide for hiring and working with freelancers effectively. I often come into contact with people who have been burned. They've gone about hiring the wrong way. They're managing their freelancers improperly things like that. So that's where I'm really thinking and maybe a guide for teachers about how to leave education and find another career that may be a little more fulfilling. Yeah. Well, I always like to conclude on this question, Laura. I'm a I'm an old guy, so I'm a Dan Rather fan. And Dan Rather, is, in my opinion, is one of the best interviewers on the face of the planet. And he has a show on Access TV called The Big Interview. Mm-hmm. And he always concludes every interview with this question. What questions should I have asked you that I didn't? Oh, and it's such a good question too. I mean, that's a good one because you asked so many comprehensive questions about how I got to where I am. I think maybe the only thing that we didn't talk too much about was 
some of the failures I made along the way or things that I learned about myself, right? So like stepping into that remote role as an employee was a huge learning experience for me. It was very hard to go from business owner to being an employee again and realizing, oh, I actually don't call the shuts and I can't change procedures and policies day to day because I feel like it or think it's better. So I think that's important to note because for anyone, whether you want to become a remote employee or you want to start your own business, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And that that's normal. Every day that you're a CEO of anything in particular, you're in uncharted territory. You're figuring out new things. There's a saying, new level, new devil. And it's very true because you'll figure, maybe you'll get your marketing and sales figured out. But then as you grow, you're like, oh, my accounting's not in ship shape or my hiring and my operations systems, not that great. So it's normal to feel like you're constantly learning something new and you're not great at everything. And I think that's valuable for people to know because like we see the positive side of it now, right? Like you've been doing what you've been doing for years. I've been doing what I've been doing for years, but that was not a smooth road, right? It was a total roller coaster to get there. And you know, the great thing about this pandemic, and it's, it's so good that you have the skill set, is it's proven that we can be just as effective at home, if not more. I always tell my boss, I can start at 0600 and at 1800, I'm done. If I do that here in the DMV, it's about two hours going, two hours coming home. So you're getting a lot more from the employee when you are uh, being able to work from home. So it's great that you're doing that and companies are rising. I think the genie is out of the bottle and there's no going back. I mean, we're never gonna be a five-day work week organization anymore. Maybe in banking where you have to, maybe in other organizations where it requires it, but there's so many more where you can get more productivity out of someone doing exactly what we're doing right now. Absolutely, I totally agree. So I leave the last words with you, Laura. Anything else you'd like to tell our audience today? No, nothing that I can think of. But like, if you're thinking about starting your own business, if you're thinking about working remotely and making that change, just go ahead and take that next step. It might be a really small action step. It might be scanning a job board to see what kinds of things are out there in the remote world. It might be brainstorming. If I could own my own business, what are three things I'd want to sell or services I'd want to do? But those are those little baby action steps that all really add up into something because to get to that final result, landing that dream remote job, scaling your business to whatever point you want, it takes hundreds and even thousands of little baby steps in there. So if you're feeling that call, I encourage you to just take one little action step. What's something you can do today to move you a little bit closer to your goal? Great. Well, Laura, on behalf of the Air Force Aid Society, we really appreciate your time today. I'm going to make sure that all of our uh, audiences reviews all your hyperlinks for every form of social media you have out there. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Airman Helping Airman podcast. Please take the time to download from all the particular aspects of social media, YouTube channel, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and vodcasts. Have a great Air and Space Force day. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen, brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out more about how we make a difference, visit AFAS.org. And then be sure to search for Airmen Helping and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thanks for listening and join us on social media.